Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 334. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, thanks for all the feedback about how you like the shorter format, more frequent episodes. I will try and do that going forward. I have missed the past couple weeks, though, because I've been on the road on an extended road trip. But I'm back in the office, back in the saddle now. So in this episode, let's just briefly touch on the fact that the Delta variant of the COVID-19 virus is spreading like wildfire. But at the same time, just this Friday, the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average both logged in record high closes. And so some of you may be saying, well, how can that be? And then others of you are saying, well, if they're at record highs, maybe it's the time to sell because there's an impending crash coming. Well, all of you that think that there's been an impending crash coming have been wrong for a long, long time. Because throughout this pandemic, once we got into the late summer months of 2020, the S&P has gone on to put in record highs on a continuing basis. Sometimes we see multiple highs in a week, but really since about mid to late August, the S&P 500 has put in at least one record high every quarter, and there's been many months in a row where it's continued to put in record highs every single month, if not multiple record highs in any given month. And no, I don't think this rally is about to end, but even more importantly than that, I think that even though the Dow and the S&P right now are at record highs, and their upside is limited to maybe 5% or so between now and the end of the year, Where I still see substantial opportunity is in the cyclical, the values, and the reopening type stocks, many of which are down substantially, and a lot of those reopening stocks have gotten hit hard over the past week or two. That's because of the raging COVID variant. But that doesn't mean that we're headed for an imminent collapse of society. It just means that we continue to adjust and adapt. And that's why people that are always calling for an economic collapse to never be right. Because markets adjust, people adapt. We adapt to changes in the economy, we adapt to changes in political structure, and we adapt to viruses. So I think there are plenty of sectors within the S&P 500, and especially value-oriented small cap companies, and I'll get into some of those numbers in a minute, but I do want to emphasize here, because I hear from a lot of people that ask about my investing philosophy, and they don't seem to understand the difference between what I consider investing and what I consider speculation. Now, over the years, I've done many episodes about that topic of speculation. Let me just give you a real thumbnail sketch of where I think the line delineates the difference between speculation and investment. And as far as speculation goes, listen, it's just a derivative of the same root word that would use for spectacles. So speculation basically means to see into the future. Now, I don't consider myself a speculative investor, but at the same time, I have to admit that there can be a thin line between investing and speculation because, as you always hear me say, I can't predict the future. And so when we talk about speculating and seeing into the future, that's really about making predictions. And to the degree that you're going to be right, it all has to do with what your error rate and inaccuracy is, what kind of data you're using to come up with that speculation, and then how well you hedge against those probabilities of being wrong. 
I generally hedge against probabilities of being wrong by doing one of two things. One is limiting the amount of speculative investments that I make. I try and err on the side of known accuracy, and that's why I consider myself an investor and not a speculator. I wrote a whole section four to my book, The Robots Are Coming, about thinking like an investor and not like a speculator. As we travel through this huge change of digitization and automation and robotics and all the gigantic technological changes that are occurring over these coming years and coming decades, the unknown factor increases by at least one order of magnitude because the new technologies are radically changing everything. So it's harder to use data from the past to predict the future. That inherently raises the specter of speculation because now we're all speculating a little more than we had in the past because the future is changing so rapidly. But at the same time, because there is an increased level of speculation, that creates a fear of missing out. More and more people pile into more risky, more speculative behavior. Charlatans, con artists, and crazy people pile in. That causes the bubble to grow even more. You get ever-increased amounts of speculation and then inevitably that bubble pops. That's how you got the housing crisis of 2008. That's how you got the dot-com bubble of 2000. That's how you got the railroad bubble of the 1800s. And that's how we'll get the next bubble, whatever it may be. And so as we move more and more into a speculative environment, you need to be cautious to have an exit strategy and to do your best to not get lured into the easy money, get rich quick, hyped up investments, which have little to no real intrinsic value. Haha, <laughs> but I digress. Here's the bottom line as far as today's episode. People are asking me, well, John, aren't you just speculating on your reopening trade? Aren't you just getting into the hype of a recovering economy? And aren't things just going to get worse with the never-ending variants of the virus and increased governmental controls and larger and more tyrannical tech-type companies? Listen, there's always risk in the market for the very fact that we can't predict the future. And that's why, to one degree or another, you do have to use a little bit of speculation. But right now, I remain confident in the reopening trade and in the further appreciation of things like the value and the cyclical trades and why I would justify looking at this as more of an investment rather than purely speculation is because as I talk about investing and reopening in cyclical type stocks, there's a rational, logical, fact-based science that helps support my analysis. And simply put, it's all about the economic law of supply and demand. The reason that we call these generally value-oriented stocks cyclicals, and I'm lumping in, in a broad way, the reopening stocks, because we just went through an artificial shutdown of the economy. And so stocks that otherwise really wouldn't be that cyclical have more of a feast-famine pattern attributed to them because the economy was abruptly shut down, particularly in the service-type sector and travel industry environment, and now that's being reopened. And when you have events like the Delta variant, that acts as a speed bump to that reopening. It puts more fear into people because people are fearful that the reopening will be delayed. And it might be. And we go into the fall and the winter months and there's more traditional flu season type activity. 
these stocks could take another hit. And so, yes, to the degree that I can't predict the future, I'm speculating. But what I'm not speculating on, economic activity and specifically service-based experiential type activity will get back above pre-COVID levels. And we've already seen that in a lot of sectors where we've already gotten back to at or above 2019 activity within these service sectors. And when you get back to that law of supply and demand, and whenever there's an imbalance where that supply doesn't keep up with demand, then prices go up. That means corporate profits go up. And that's why I think that betting on these cyclical type stocks and the reopening trade specifically is less about speculation and more about simply understanding the dynamics and the economic laws of supply and demand. The reason that we call cyclical stocks cyclical is because their pattern over time follows a very reliable cyclical pattern, which is based on the business cycle. And the reason a lot of these stocks tend to be more value-oriented is because during times of the negative cycle, people are fearful, they don't want to invest in those type companies because profits are either down or they're flat and there's no growth opportunities. And so short-term investors flee out of those stocks. It causes the price of those stocks to either come down or to stagnate. And then the valuation of those companies is lower than the general market. Thus, they become value-oriented. People see value in them because the prices are depressed and they're specifically depressed in terms of what the profitability will be during the next phase of the business cycle, which again is why they're cyclical, because sales and profits stagnate once the supply has caught up with demand. And so you have to go through a period of time where there's some mitigation, there's consolidation, maybe some players go out of business, perhaps a new technology comes in and disrupts things, Perhaps there's an economic or some other type of fiscal crisis, which limits customers' ability to buy new products. Or in terms of the recent cycle we're going through, the economies were literally artificially shut down. So looking at where we are right now in this phase of coming out of a COVID pandemic, we've seen a huge increase in the value-oriented, the cyclical type, and the reopening stocks where they really popped last fall, back around November through March. Many of these companies' stock prices went up anywhere from 30% to more than 100%. Everybody piled into that trade. Things got overvalued. The expectations that the economy would fully reopen by springtime or into the summer were overestimated. Then we get fear of too much inflation, Maybe the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates and that'll squelch the economy. That starts to dampen expectations. And then we get different variants of the COVID virus and more people getting infected again. So now people begin to worry and the whole reopening trade hits a speed bump. But in my opinion, as I speculate into the future, I think it is just a speed bump. I think the economy will fully reopen. Now, again, are we going to go from a Delta variant to a Lambda variant to a Zulu variant and then get into a bad flu, traditional flu season this winter? I have no idea. And that's why I don't try to time the activity to the penny. I buy in when I think value exists and I hold those positions 
until I have a better opportunity to go on to. And right now, even though the Dow and the S&P 500 are at record highs, that's not the case for a number of very excellent companies that have a bright future. They are still trading at a discount, and they will remain at a discount until the economy is fully opened. And so I believe those companies are still fully investable. That's why I continue to hold my reopening trade, and I don't plan to get out of it or sell it anytime in the near future. Let me just give you a quick rundown of where the underlying opportunities still exist in the S&P 500. And I'm running out of time in this episode, so I'm not going to call out specific names. But I just want to give you an idea of how much opportunity still exists. And so keeping in mind that the S&P 500 is at an all-time record high, if you look under the surface, there are about 38% of the companies where the price is below their 50-day moving average. And so generally, if you're looking for value, if you're looking for a pullback, if you want to buy the dip, buying a stock when it's around its 50-day moving average is a pretty good long-term play, especially if your time horizon is more than just a quarter or two. Now, what I really like about this underlying value within the S&P 500 is that even though you have about 38%, a little bit more, of companies where the price is below their 50-day moving average, At the same time, you only have about 30% of the companies that are trading below their 20-day moving average. And so that means that in a lot of cases, the trend has appeared to already bottomed out and prices are starting to recover. In fact, you have significantly less companies that are trading at a real discount down around their 200-day moving average. Probably only about 10% or so of S&P 500 companies are below their 200-day moving average. So when I look at that, and I consider the other factors affecting this, and the speed bump nature of how I think we've temporarily slowed down in the reopening, I think the worst is over. And while the S&P 500, in aggregate, it may be topping out. It may only have another 5% or so to go between now and the end of the year. These other companies, and especially those that have pulled back since March, And those that are favoring reopening as opposed to those that have been favored by the closing of the lockdowns, I believe that's where the opportunity lies. And if you look at the portion of the S&P 500 that's nowhere near a record high, then you'll see that there are close to 40% of the S&P 500 that are down from their 52-week high price of more than 10%. In a lot of cases, that 52-week moving high wasn't an all-time record high, It's just a yearly high since we've been hampered with the COVID panic. So under the surface, there are plenty of undervalued companies that I still think have a long runway ahead of them as we reopen and we get more into the service and the experiential type travel and in-person entertainment section of the economy. And what I've talked about today has just been really focusing on the S&P 500. And if you dig down into the mid-cap and the smaller-cap companies, you'll find even more opportunity. And that's why when you look at my current holdings, I own a great deal more smaller-cap companies than I normally otherwise would. That not only has to do with the fact that I think the reopening is going to favor those companies, but it's also because I think that the Federal Reserve is nowhere near cutting back on all their easy monetary policies. And so the likelihood that these smaller cap companies 
are going to run out of the ability to continue to reinvest their debt at lower levels, I think that's unlikely to happen anytime in the near future. So, hey, can you call it speculation or long-term investment? We'll call it whatever you like. This is a method that I've been using and perfecting for over 36 years. It doesn't work all the time in every market. It limits your upside potential and prevents you from getting rich quick overnight. But over the long term, if you're a dedicated, serious investor and you want your wealth to continue to grow, but at the same time, mitigate some of the risk so that you don't worry and so you can sleep at night, then I think that this type of market timing, cyclical value, buy the dip type investing, I think over the long run, it works out extremely well. I don't know how it'll work out for you, but it's been a fantastic opportunity for me over the years. Well, hey, as always, till the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.